Hey there, thanks so much for choosing our podcast. Before you start this episode, this is Kellen Erskine from the future. If you're listening to the book pile for the first time, I highly recommend starting on a later episode after we hit our stride. Some of my all-time favorites are when we cover the books The Hunger Games, 1984, Leonardo da Vinci, Hitmakers, The Checklist Manifesto, and The Roasts of the Da Vinci Code, or any of the Twilight Roasts. If you're here because you already like the podcast and want to binge from the beginning, then thanks again. New episodes every Monday. Hey everyone, ever think to yourself, man, I hate reading. I wish instead of reading books, I could listen to two comedians talk about books so I never have to read again. Well, good news, that's exactly what this podcast is. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm one of the comedians. been doing comedy for 15 years. I've been on America's Got Talent, Conan, Kimmel, Amazon Prime. I'm proud of one of those things. I'm also a uh, father of three and a husband of one. I'm David Vance. I'm a husband of zero, father of zero. I've written comedic ads for companies like Squatty Potty, uh, Lumi, Chatbooks, and sketch comedy for the show Studio C. My work has been on Conan, and I've got a couple Webby Awards. You're listening to The Book Pile, a podcast where two comedians talk about nonfiction books. That's us. So today's book... <laughs> Today's book is about the ways that humans are consistently irrational. Want to learn how to improve your own rationality? Probably not. Want to use this information to mock other people? Absolutely. And this is the book pile. All right, so let's jump into our four favorite lessons from the book. Number one for me is pay attention to when you mix your social brain with your money brain. Dan Ariely gives us an example of how he said, imagine you're eating Thanksgiving uh, with your whole family, aunts, uncles, cousins. And and this year you genuinely have to imagine for a lot of you. <laughs> So he says you, you stand up and pull like a giant wad of bills out of your pocket and say, uh, hey, grandma, this is delicious. How much do I owe you? Like, <laughs> so you see these scenarios in which when people are thinking with their social brain, they act totally differently from when they're thinking with their money brain. So one of the famous examples is the AARP asked these lawyers, hey, would you do legal work for seniors for a discount? And the lawyers were like, no. And then they came back and they were like, well, would you do it for free? And they're all like, oh, yeah, sure. And the difference was that at first the lawyers were thinking with their money brain and they're like, this isn't my rate. And then later they were thinking with their social brain and they're like, oh, yeah, I would do charitable work. Another famous example is there was this Israeli daycare and parents kept coming late. And so the daycare was like, we're going to charge a fee if you come late to pick up your kid. And so the parents started coming later. Because they were like, oh, yeah, that fee's very affordable. I can stay later at the office, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's kind of like how when Jeff Bezos was remodeling his mansion, he paid $16,000 in parking tickets because he's not thinking with his social brain. He's thinking with his money brain. And his money brain is like, oh, yeah, I can definitely afford that. The students at UC Berkeley did a study in Berkeley. They went to a street and they just tallied all day the types of cars that ran a stop sign. And it was overwhelmingly... Mm expensive cars. Wow. So there is that mentality that I can afford to break the law, so I'm going to. Right. And I, I found out about this study that day when I got pulled over in my Hummer. <laughs> so th there was one week where I did a show for several thousand dollars, and then the next night... <laughs> okay. I, then the, Kellen, the, how much does it cost to book you, and <laughs> at what site? I'm also available for Zoom corporate gigs, but the point <laughs> of this story, I did a show on one night for several thousand dollars, and then the next night, I did a show in a much nicer venue for free because it was a charity event. 
but I have also refused to do a show because they only offered a few hundred dollars. So the difference there, again, is that money brain, social brain. And the other lesson is that I should have just charged for the charity event because they made so <laughs> much money. And it was for... One <laughs> you of said the, it was for dogs? Yeah, it was one of the worst shows I've ever done. Because right before I went out, they show this 15-minute video of sick dogs to very sad music. And then when it's over, the woman who introduces me, she comes out crying. Everyone in the audience is crying. She tells them the back of the room where they can... She directs them back there where they can donate after the show. And then she is sobbing and saying, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Helena's kid... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love I love the image of a sobbing woman introducing a stand-up comedian. Well, it's like that scene, it's like that scene in Inside Out when Bing Bong is so sad because he thinks that Riley's gonna forget him forever. And he's just mm-hmm. and sadness is next to him, and both of them are just crying together. And then Joy, I was like, Joy, because Joy comes up and she's like, Hey, it's okay, come on, everything's great. I could <laughs> So come you out. come across as someone who just cannot read the room. Yeah. Like, it's just dogs. So anyway, cell phones are weird. <laughs> That's what I should I should have come out and gone. Well, yeah, I'm more of a cat person. So yesterday I was at the grocery <laughs> store. Speaking of terrible timing for performance, there was this comedy duo out of LA. They'd been like starving for years. They have this huge break. They get to be on the Ed Sullivan show. And then their set was right before the Beatles to a crowd of screaming 15-year-old girls who did not get their content at all. So they just, (laughs) they went out there and there was absolute silence. They went backstage and no other performer would even look at them because they had bombed so badly. Their agent didn't call them for six months afterward. They had to like flee to Florida just to like go on a vacation and totally forget about how bad the experience was. And then while they were in Florida, the Beatles showed up there too. (laughs) I think it is one of the funniest... (laughs) saddest stories i've ever heard yeah but did you just hear my dog's story (laughs) yeah okay number two beware of distance from evil so he did this experiment about stealing he went to all these communal fridges in the dorms at mit and in half of the fridges he put a six pack of coke and within three days all of the coke had been stolen which i want to see that coke ad campaign where it's like coke the drink of thieves (laughs) (laughs) kind of like it's kind of like how in Stranger Things, the Coke product placement is while Eleven is being emotionally abused by the scientists. Oh and in the audience, you're like, boy, I'm thirsty. <laughs> okay, so he puts Coke in half the fridges, they get stolen. In the other half of the fridges, he just takes a plate and he puts six $1 bills. And he comes back three days later, and all of the dollar bills are still there. And his takeaway there is people feel comfortable stealing the Coke because it feels like a step removed from stealing, but they don't feel comfortable stealing the dollar bills. And so kind of the broad takeaway here is we give ourselves this permission to do bad things when it's a step removed from evil. The thing that concerns me about the zombie apocalypse, the reason why I have no faith in humanity is because most people are not the guy who has been building a zombie-proof armored truck for the last decade so that they can (laughs) ram it into the storefront of a Walmart. But I still think that I am the person that after that guy does that, I will climb through that hole and start shoving cliff bars (laughs) in my pockets. Right. And that's the problem. That damage has been done. I might as well just grab a few of these. You're afraid of being the guy who won't 
won't start the evil, but will gladly follow. Yeah. I do think against our more optimistic judgments of ourselves, most of us would be the people who go along with evil. Another example of distance from evil, I honestly think most people feel so comfortable eating animals because they don't have to see the factory farming system. I think there should be a law that every meat product you eat has to come with the face and you have to like look the pig in the eyes and then maybe you have to like watch babe as you eat it. Every bite of whatever meat you're eating, you hear just a faint scream from whatever animal that is. (laughs) It's like the same way we package cigarettes. (laughs) Charlotte from Charlotte's Web comes in and spins murderer. (laughs) Number three for me. Beware of overvaluing stuff that is free. Have you ever seen that line out of the door of an IHOP on free pancake day? Mm -hmm. So that's an example of this. I know a guy who every year he takes the day off of work so that he can go with his family to IHOP on free pancake day. Wow. And so it's this, it's completely irrational because pancakes cost what? you know, $400 for your family. Pancakes are going to cost like 25 bucks in this. If you compare that to the value of a vacation day, I mean, maybe they irrationalize it because it is an international house. It's like traveling abroad. Yeah. Now they go home, they can put a thumbtack on the map. I'm always so interested by the way that those pancakes from abroad are so similar to our pancakes. It just really makes you think about world peace. (laughs) I love, too, how, how it feels so fancy when you're there. Like, I've been guilty of this, where you go there, it'll they'll show you a picture of a pancake with, like, bananas and cinnamon, and you're like, how do they even make these? <laughs> no, but I get, I get what you're saying, that it does speak to the fact that we just, as soon as something is free, we become irrationally drawn to it. Like, we place this extra value on it because it's free. Like, any, anytime I see one of those bumper stickers that says freedom isn't free, I'm like, oh, then I don't want it. Is it free with a coupon? Is it free on my birthday? So I can relate to this too, because I know that I still do this where I will buy something on Amazon just because it's on Amazon Prime, because I can get the free delivery rather than even considering other options where I might have to pay a little bit more. Right. The allure of free gets you to irrationally get something that you don't even want that much. Yeah, he says that the difference between two cents and one cent is small, but the difference between one cent and zero cents is huge. I'll tell you how you can get the value out of an IHOP. About 10 years ago, I tried out for Last Comic Standing. I didn't know anything about it at the time, that it's actually um, the whole cattle call thing that they did was pretty false, where they just have, you know, that line of hundreds of people out the door. Like, anyone can just come in off the street and tell a knock-knock joke and then be famous. I took a train from San Francisco to Los Angeles to sit in front of the improv for 20 hours. So, during the night, it was so cold and I hadn't brought anything... I was able to convince the people on both sides of me to hold my place in line at like three in the morning while I went to an IHOP and I had my notebook with me. So I go on the IHOP and I'm just, I'm just going over my set over and over in this book and the server, she kept coming like every five minutes, she would come up to me smiling, asking if everything was okay. Uh, They ended up giving (laughs) me a free dessert and it turns out at the end, like I'm pretty sure that they thought that I was a reviewer. Oh. Oh, because you're writing in your notebook. Yeah, I'm just writing in this notebook. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to try that in other scenarios. Like when I go on a date, I'm just going to keep notes in a little notebook. Hmm. Get her to be on her best behavior because <laughs> she knows she's being she knows she's being reviewed. <laughs> it's also crazy to me though that they would think because it seems like she got her order from someone else. So they're like, you make sure and treat that guy well. Does he want any more hot chocolate with sprinkles on it? Who else has ever come to review their place? At three in the morning. Like, how common is that? Like, I'm going <laughs> to surprise them with, uh, you guys better be on your toes. To be fair, three in the morning is probably the truest IHOP experience. <laughs> okay, number four. Beware of replacing a hard choice with an easy choice. One of the themes of this book is that we constantly replace hard choices with easy choices, and we don't even know that we're doing it. So they start with this experiment where they show people these three pictures. One is of a hot blonde, one is of a hot brunette, and one is of a less hot blonde. So basically they say it's Brad Pitt, George Clooney, and a less hot Brad Pitt. And they ask people, (laughs) they show people those three pictures and they ask who's hotter. And people come back and they say the hot blonde is hotter. Then they change it up. They show a hot blonde, a hot brunette, and a less hot brunette, and then ask people again. And now people say the hot brunette is hotter. And what was happening, they realized, was that people were replacing a hard choice with an easy choice, and they weren't even aware of it. Because the hard choice here is, who's hottest between the hot blonde and the hot brunette? And the easy choice is, who's the hotter blonde or who's the hotter brunette? People were answering one, substituting it for the hard question, and not even realizing they were doing it. I have this happen after shows. I had it happen. I did the shows with uh, Chris Hardwick. He hosts like the after show after The Walking Dead. He has like a very successful podcast. He was headlining and I was opening. We're standing right next to each other. And this happens quite a bit in the industry for some reason. But people will, will make this choice to come up to me and say, I thought you were funnier than the other guy. <laughs> in front of him. In front of him, yeah. As if as if all of us are just competing. But also it's just that idea right. that like <laughs> both of us both of us did well. And even if they thought that both of us were funny rather than just trying to articulate what they liked about me, they just make a quick comparison. You were funnier than him. Mm. It's easier to give like the quantitative comparative judgment than to give like a qualitative analysis of what they liked about your set. Yeah. And I've had it happen they- the other way around like i don't know how many times i've said i'm right here right in a comedy (laughs) club lobby they talk about how there are other examples of this happening so orchestras started doing blind auditions where the person would audition behind a curtain and they would even put padding down so you couldn't hear if they were wearing heels and all of a sudden the percentage of female musicians in orchestras would skyrocket because it turned out that the people judging had been taking the hard question of who's the best musician and without even realizing it hopefully they were replacing it with this easy question of who looks like my idea of a musician well and that's how i think they should hold presidential elections if they had a voice changer and they were behind a curtain so all you could hear was their (laughs) ideas it's like the masked singer but it's the masked presidential candidate (laughs) they take off the mask again you're like ah trump again (laughs) anyway the basic takeaway of the idea is beware of instances in which you're replacing a hard choice with an easy choice so for instance if you're interviewing someone for a job the hard choice is who's the best candidate the easy choice is who made the best first impression so do your best to prevent the easy choice from replacing the hard choice Mm -hmm. and if you want to learn more about that daniel kahneman's book thinking fast and slow is basically an entire book about that topic and when you say stuff like that it makes both of us sound smarter (laughs) because people just assume that we've both read thinking fast and slow yeah because i can just say Oh, yeah, I agree. And then I don't have to read that book. 
Okay, to sum up, here were our favorite lessons. One, beware of mixing your social brain with your money brain. Two, beware of distance from evil. Three, beware of overvaluing stuff that's free. Four, beware of replacing a hard choice with an easy choice. And five, if you want to get free food at IHOP, bring writing materials with you. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this episode of our weekly podcast. If you liked it, click the subscribe button. If you didn't, you could subscribe anyway and just not listen to it. 